0: you <laughs> for our podcast if you guys may remember um we used to be called we ain't just family but we back with a new format um i'm back with my co-host Kiara. um so
1: hey everybody
0: so welcome to i guess this will be season um two so. um so we wanted to do a couple of segments um to kick off this new podcast um Starting off with, um, one of my favorite shows, um, Dear White People. Uh, so this is a, a message, uh, kind of like from the TV show where we, we basically just try to put some perspective on some issues or some, some things happening in the black community or some things that white people may not just understand. So. Um, I was scrolling social media the other day and I'll let Kira weigh in after I read this and I, and I saw this and I was like, oh, this will fit perfectly for our first dear white people. It says, dear white people, no one is asking you to apologize for your ancestors. We are asking you to dismantle the systems of oppression they built that you maintain and benefit from, uh, here you want to want to say something.
1: I like that. I actually agree. Um, and it's I'm sorry, y'all. Um, that's my dog in the back. Uh, but it is um, common for us to hear white people say. Uh, Why do I have to apologize or why am I still being ridiculed for something that my grandparents did or my great grandparents did? Um, And I think that that statement perfectly explains that, you know, although you weren't there, you're still benefiting from those systems that were in place at that time while um, we are still suffering. So uh, we just... Want you to address that and use your privilege to make things better for us it's, I. It sounds like a simple concept to me, but you know.
0: And I and I, I, have, I think it was Hidden Color Three, where David Banner was. Uh, he said he had talked to one of his um, friends, his, his white friends, and said, uh, "Do you still benefit from from the, the systems of your ancestor slavery in particular?" and they said yeah he was like are you you know basically would you apologize um would you you know e- accept that you know reparations and stuff should be paid for to black people and they basically was like well no
1: when it so to me um reparations is a sticky subject not not necessarily a sticky subject but i think that it's just one that people don't understand on both sides um i think that if we came to a general consensus of what reparations will look like and what it actually means, that it'll be easier for people to understand. But I think that automatically when both sides hear reparations, they think of like a large lump sum of money. Um, And then also I think that white people have a fear of if we get reparations, then we're taking something from them. Um,
0: Yeah, and I I think... We could do a, a whole separate podcast on, on um, the case for and against reparations because um, a lot has been written on it. And I feel until um, I know here in the city of Detroit, I think it's on actual ballot for mm-hmm. today. It's a, um, I know Mary Sheffield was advocating uh, for reparations for uh, the black citizens of the city of Detroit. But until we have like a federal legislation a federal number which i doubt will ever, will ever, ever. get because um president obama and president clinton both got criticized at one point uh, for apologizing for um slavery mm-hmm. um so which kind of leads me into our our second segment is what the hell happened in america america this week um I don't know if anybody's been paying attention, but the eviction moratorium expired. Um, the Biden administration, to uh, dis- to the dismay of, of, of many, um, at first said the, the federal government had no place to stop the um, evictions or to, to restart the moratorium, and then As I was driving here, I got a news alert saying that the Biden administration is going to put some new program in in place, Um, which is also you have the eviction moratorium and then you have uh, the particularly the the left leaning Democrats um, pushing for Biden to either cancel all of the student loan debts, 50,000 or to extend the the forbearance pause, um, both of which he he has not come up publicly and, and said anything about. Uh, okay. Thoughts on either one?
1: Yeah, I have thoughts on both. Um, so with the evictions, um, I just want to put into perspective what that will look like because oftentimes we only think about the present, um, but evictions have long-lasting effects. So... Um, the the people being evicted um, will affect them with getting housing in the future. Um, evictions stay on your report is also often the first question that um, landlords will ask when you put in an application is if you have an eviction um, on your record, and they automatically deny you most of the time. Um, if they
0: don't deny you, and they usually make you pay a lot of money first last month rent yeah and even on top of that a I've security deposit security, all kind of deposits, this is a housing rent.
1: crisis like this is literally a housing crisis do you know how many people could end up homeless from this um and I just don't think that like I think that a lot of people are not thinking about that aspect of it it's definitely bad that people are getting evicted period but think about what what this means for people um in the future and then um with the student loan thing so you know honestly i'm over it i'm over it because one of the biggest things that biden had ran on was the promise to um to eliminate student loan debt uh, so I just don't understand why we are still having this conversation that it hasn't be done, been done yet. I don't even understand why there's a choice between extending the forbearance and, um, eliminating the, the debt because you literally said and promised that you were going to eliminate student loan debt. So anything else is, you know, it doesn't matter. It's unnecessary. We don't need to talk about it. So,
0: so which kind of leads me to, um, uh builds upon the points you were making with the um mortgage well the housing crisis and then on top of that you have what's going on with student loan debt because i read yesterday that basically wall, wall street corporations are making a killing right now in the housing market and how along with student loan debt the housing market is pricing millennials out basically like the the this American dream of home ownership may never be real for uh, millennials because of mm-hmm. what's going on with these housing prices. And then on top of that, the $1.7 student loan debt in America.
1: As a um, millennial, and I consider myself like um, a late millennial or like one of the last, um, the youngest millennial. Um, yesterday, I was just having a conversation with someone about whether or not I ever had a desire to buy a home. And this person is, uh, I think, about seven or eight years older than me. Um, so they, I think they're considered a millennial, but just older than me. Yeah,
0: and then... Okay. Yeah, you're at the back end of millennials. Yes. I, I'm in the beginning. Okay, so
1: that makes sense. So um, when I said that, no, like, I have no desire to ever do that, he didn't understand Because I think that to um, some older millennials and beyond, uh, it's like, why wouldn't you want to own a home? But for me, it literally does not make sense for me as a young person and what I see in the United States going on, going forward. I just don't feel like owning a home is a smart thing for me to do.
0: Yeah, and I so I actually own a home, but I got in on the the when the bubble the housing market bubbled back in 2008 2010 like I got my house for dirt cheap basically. Like and now my parents are like, "Well, now you got a family like it's time to move. It's like houseway."
1: Right. Where where am I going to go and be able to sustain the same way that I'm living now or or not? I guess that's my thing, because it's not even just with buying homes. As a renter, it is incredibly difficult to find um, homes or uh, apartments at a decent price. Um, that In a good area. In a good area with decent amenities. It's very hard. If you want your apartment to look like it is 2021 and not 1995, you will likely pay about 1200 and up. Um, and 1200 is like a studio, um, unless you are far out into the suburbs. And that is very, very frustrating that it's, that's an issue within itself, um, that people in inner cities, which are often um, poor black people and or poor uh, minorities in general, in inner cities are unable to have access to affordable housing, um, affordable uh, subsidies substantial housing, like, like housing that is livable. Um, and I know that when I'm looking for apartments, I always have to, if I'm looking within my budget and to have something reasonable and nice, um, with at least stainless steel appliances or just something updated, um, I can't look in the city. I can't even look at the suburbs on the border of the city.
0: Yeah, And if you're looking in the city, you have to be prepared to pay an arm and a leg. Exactly.
1: You're going to pay $1,800 for a one-bedroom that's 500 square feet. And it's it's just not, that is ridiculous within itself. Um, I was just complaining to my mom yesterday that rent, mortgages, all of this stuff, the cost of living in general is going up, but my salary is staying stagnant. So we're going to have to figure something out. Because how y'all expect me to keep paying y'all more when I'm not getting paid more? Where's the money coming from?
0: Yeah, and, uh, shoot, salaries not even uh, keeping up with inflation at this point. Exactly. Um.
1: So, yeah, um, I just don't... It's not... I don't think that it's feasible for young people right now to own a home. It sounds good, but I think that we are in a different world, and that's okay. That is okay that we are not... Um, striving for that uh, picket fence house with the dog and a son and a daughter and a husband or a wife, and we're moving beyond that, and that's okay. And,
0: and, and Grand Cordon would, would tell you, um, buying a house is it's a bad investment. So um, and that's something we could talk about too at a uh, at a later date. Is, is home ownership, um, that the American dream really practical in mm-hmm. 2021 and beyond? Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, because it's been all over the news, uh, pretty much the, the last month and a half, uh, with Naomi Osaka and then Simone Biles, um, mental health. Uh, recently Naomi Osaka, um, uh, withdrew first from the French Open and from Wimbledon, um, citing her mental health, um not wanting to talk to the media and then you had the, the unicorn of gymnastics and Simone, um, go through what she called the, the twisties and withdrew basically from every uh, Olympic event except, um, she did compete in the, um, balance beam today, um, which has brought new found attention to mental health, um, also brought on criticism. Um, Naomi Osaka, for example, was just criticized uh, from, um, I think she's a former host on Fox News. You no, know, uh, Megan Kelly. Uh, and I don't know if anybody catch, caught this, but if you have a chance, um, LeBron James did a, his, his production company did a very good documentary on Naomi Osaka. And it kind of gives you um, insight into Basically, the, the mental health uh, that it takes to be a, a world-class athlete is on um, Netflix, actually. So just your thoughts on um, this, this focus on, on mental health now here in America.
1: Um, first, I think that Americans in general, but uh, especially white people, have a bad habit of thinking Um, our bodies belong to them. I say this because I saw the same thing when, um, the NBA was shut down because of the pandemic and people were like, just let them play. Um, and I think that oftentimes people have this wrong view that we, that people in those positions solely exist for their entertainment as if they are not actual human beings. So I just want people to take a step back and stop looking at athletes and entertainers as your entertainment for your life and think of them as an actual person that goes to work every day. Um, They just do something that's uh, more visible than what you do. Um, and when you look at them that way, then you're able to see that they are human in the same way that you that we sit here and we talk about self-care and mental health days all over social media all day. And we talk about, you know what, today I just used some PTO to go sit in a tub or to go get my nails and feet done or or do whatever you indulge in that's self-care. And I see this on social media because mental health has um become something that we're trying to normalize. So I see people talking about this quite often. Why is it so hard for you to grasp that athletes, too, need um, time off? Athletes, too, may be going through more strenuous uh, mental things than we are going through. Um, You have to think about how you are dealing with all of your BS without the world looking at you. They have the world, the entire world watching them. On top of that, we are in the middle of a pandemic still. I know everybody likes to think that the pandemic is over and nothing else is going on. But no, there are new variants that are very, very contagious. Uh, We are still in a pandemic. So with that being said, it is okay if athletes are hesitant to go overseas to Tokyo, where it's a bunch of people coming from all over the world to go be in this small bubble. You know what I'm saying? And then with Naomi's point, we don't know what that girl deal with in her life. So I just want to say mind your business. We don't we don't know what she's doing outside of tennis. Um, As a black woman, I know that trauma is something that is pretty much normal in our lives. So you never know, trauma and struggling are, are things that are normal in our lives. What do you you think that she doesn't have those things either? You never know what somebody is going through.
0: And I, I, if you just touched on a couple of points, like Paul George, for example, got criticized last year uh, for saying that basically in a bubble, he, he had a mental breakdown basically. Um, and I think about what LeBron James said, and recently on, on the shop like people don't realize the NBA players when they went in the bubble LeBron made it from July to what October he was in this bubble away from his family um and, and pretty much you know everything that makes him of a, a human like I got to stay in this bubble. All I can do is play basketball. I don't get to see my family on a regular like I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Y'all still want me to come come out here and perform. And then I'll just leave it like this because I know a lot of people were criticizing Naomi Osaka for not wanting to talk to the media after a match. But Draymond Green on the shop said Ooh, you Oh, he want made me? a good point. Yep. You want me to talk to the media at, at my worst time. So if I say what's on my mind, I'm going to get fine. If I don't talk to y'all, I'm going to get fine. But y'all still expect me to talk to the media. like I You can't. literally
1: pushing the microphone in my face when I'm dead tired. Um, or if I just lost and you asking me, how did I feel about losing the championship? And it's like, how the F do you think I feel? You know? Um, so... I don't know. It's just for me, I just feel like people, when it comes to to just anybody that they can see on TV or see on social media where they feel like they have access to their lives, um, people just don't give them the same courtesy that they want people to give them. Because you made a good point when you said when you talked about LeBron being in this bubble it's the same thing as everybody complaining about working from home and everything being shut down and everybody was complaining about being isolated and what that was doing to their mental health. How is that any different?
0: And I mean, he was, I mean, his family in California, he's stuck in Florida in it's a bubble. Right. And I, and I'm like, LeBron joked about on the shop, but he was like, Orlando had no chance to ever sign to me. Like, I don't even want to go back to Orlando, <laughs> but he made a joke, but it's like, I couldn't imagine not being able to physically see my family for months and being stuck in a bubble with just other basketball players.
1: And solely for your entertainment and to make the powers that be extra money. These people, the people who benefit from the players still playing and making money are people who don't need no more money.
0: The 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 billionaire team owner that... It always amazes me, and we can talk about this on a different podcast. Uh, when it's time for a stadium to get built, they go to the city
1: for taxes,
0: for tax dollars to build these hundreds and now billion-dollar stadiums, and it's like y'all a billionaire. Like, why can't y'all fund it y'allself? Mm-hmm. So that leads us into our main topic for today, which is um, mental health for Black people. So just to give you some numbers, so African-American, black people, Moorish people, whatever y'all want to call y'all selves now, make up 13.4% of the population. 16% have mental illness or experienced mental illness within the past year. That's 7 million people. Um, and mental health historically has has been something um, that is not regularly discussed in the, in the black community um, it's becoming a little bit more discussed um I know we have some some opposing viewpoints about charlemagne the God um, but his his book shook ones uh, really with the the opening dialogue for myself to check uh, my my mental health um you you want to touch on any anything in particular. Um I got some some more numbers and I was also thinking about uh the what was termed uh post traumatic uh slave syndrome. Okay.
1: Um um so I I don't know how you wanna do this because I don't mind sharing about my mental health. Do you want me to share it now or do you want to talk about it after you um, go over all of the numbers.
0: So we, I can go over some some numbers. Uh, so one one of the the number that that stuck out to me um, is more than one in five African American people live in poverty. Why is that important? Because the the poor you are, the least likely you are are able to to seek mental health mental therapy, um, get the the um, help that you need. Um, 30% of, of black and African-American homes are, are headed by women compared to just 9%, of white households being led by women. Um, and being the head of household, trying to figure it out on your own, I believe just ask to, um, the, the stress, the, the mental wherewithal, uh, on particularly, uh, black, black women. Um, uh, and then I brought, I uh, mentioned earlier, um, what is called post-traumatic slave syndrome. We've all heard of PS, what is it? PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, this basically, and there's a very good bo- book on it, but it basically said that, African Americans, blacks, are still dealing with the trauma of their ancestors when it comes to from slavery, being disenfranchised, um, having certain laws designed exclusively um, to harm or, or um, black people. Um, they did a very similar study uh, with ancestors of survivors of the Holocaust. And that's actually what prompted uh, the, the doctor to do this study. And then they found that the long-term impacts of, of slavery, uh, Jim Crow, the black holes, all of these laws that have been designed to harm black people, uh, wear on on people's mental health. Um, and not only that, uh, I think being in a pandemic, like we mentioned earlier, has also added... Uh, negatively towards um uh, people's mental health um uh, particularly in the black community. Um uh, so I I know personally uh, of course what Kira is about about to share and I wanna commend her for, for doing that, but uh, if you want to go ahead.
1: Yeah, so um kind of like a lot of the the statistics that you touched on are things that I have experienced firsthand. So one of the first things that you said was um, talking about how uh, mental health is still a stigma in the black community, Um, although that we see see people talking about it a lot more. Um, So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about a month and a half ago, I think a month or so ago. And um, prior to that, uh, we just thought that it was severe depression and generalized anxiety disorder. Um, When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, it made me so sad because although I knew that mental health is something that we can talk about a lot more, I don't think that people pay attention to how the mental health that people talk about, the mental illnesses that people talk about the most are depression and anxiety. We still have not normalized um, other mental illnesses and bipolar disorder was one of them. So for me, I just felt like, you know, I am um, afraid to share this with people and although You know, a lot of people feel like it's not something I necessarily have to share. I feel obligated to share with the people closest to me because it affects my everyday life so much. Um, I can't. I don't think that it's fair um, for me to be going through this and know that I'm going through this and it affects my relationships and it affects my my job. It affects my schoolwork. And I'm not letting people know. Um, But I was very afraid about the reaction and I will say that my fears were warranted because people will say things that they don't know are hurtful Um, and they will say things like oh I knew you were bipolar because you do x y and z when really you don't even understand what bipolar disorder is but you saying that you knew I was bipolar because I cussed you out one day um, or you knew that I was crazy because I had a panic attack like and, you know
0: and everybody warns a cuss out every so often okay
1: <laughs> I, I say that all the time like you know what sometimes somebody get cussed out somebody has to get cussed out and sometimes somebody has to get slapped that's just life and um, but like I was just so afraid about what people would think of me and I still know that people don't really understand what it is they just know that I'm dealing with something Um, And it hurts me also that I feel like people don't even take the time out to learn what it is. Like if somebody I love as much as people say they love me told me that they were diagnosed with something that I know little about, I'm about to be doing all the research. But I just feel like people still expect me to not only teach myself how to live with this mental illness that is debilitating sometimes, but to also teach them how to live with me living with the mental illness.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because for me, uh, Google is like there, like you don't have to turn on your computer, like everybody got smartphones, like you can literally Google. You don't
1: even have to type in google.com, you can just put it in the search bar and it Google it for you.
0: Because like that was the first thing I did when you told me you, you were dying of a bipolar, it's like. How to be a friend to somebody that has bipolar disorder or how to help someone dealing with that. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, Google has like great information, like WebMD is available. Like people will Google when they got symptoms, but when they have a friend or a loved one dealing with something, uh, it's like all of a sudden we forgot to Google. Um Exactly. I also um, have a, and I I just want to mention this, bipolar is real, schizophrenia is real. Um, I I have a family member that dealt with that. Um, And these are all issues, anxiety that we sweep under the rug. Um, I feel like in the black community, like you said earlier, people are having conversations about mental health but it's like, well, it don't affect me. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, I can have this conversation, but it's not me, it's them.
1: Or I've had friends who felt like ex- mental illnesses weren't real, anxiety and depression wasn't a real thing until they experienced it. And then they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm going through this this thing, and I know exactly how you were feeling, and I'm sorry that I didn't think that it was real. Um It's just I just want people to know that if you if your brain is a quote unquote normal functioning brain um, and you know that about yourself, you know that you don't struggle with mental illnesses, you know that you have like normal anxiety, like anxiety is a normal emotion. You know that that's not something that you have too much of. I just want you to um, use the privilege that you have because you do have a privilege. Use that privilege of not having a disability, um, to help people who do have one. And that means educating yourself. That means doing what needs to be done so you can know how to deal with these people because they exist. And like bipolar disorder is not something that you can tell. I take, I take medication and, um, if you don't know me, you don't know that I'm going through that, um, I have to tell you it's so you never know what people are going through. Just extend grace um, and stop feeling like mental health has a look because it doesn't.
0: And somebody like if you're not dealing with mental health issues, someone, you know, is Mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not, whether it's a family member, a a friend, um, some someone is
1: uh... and remember it's undiagnosed too because again that stigma in the black community even though more people are getting comfortable with going to um therapy let's be real older generations are not they are still pretty stagnant on that so um i know like i just think about my family i really do feel like a lot of people have the undiagnosed mental illnesses and Obviously, we can't diagnose them, but i I just think that that's where education comes into play. we're doing our own research so we know what the signs look like and we can approach people from there
0: and i, I just want to share this too um suicide when it when it comes to um, the the black population between eighteen and twenty five and even younger um it's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, we have 12, 13-year-olds uh, c- committing suicide. So mental health, even at that young of an age, is, is very, very important. What you say to a preteen, a young adult, um, can, can have negative consequences like words, actions, because uh, you don't know what what type of mental health that person is dealing with or what the environment is at home but suicide rates in the african-american community particularly in 25 younger are increasing Mm -hmm. and that's that's something we we don't often talk about
1: yeah i that so suicide is a touchy subject for me um, but I pay attention to how how people who are still on earth after that happen, um, how much hypocrisy they they show. And I say that because I um, there have been suicides in my family and once the suicide happened, young people under 25, um, once the suicide happens, everybody is like, oh, we need to be there for each other. You can talk to me about anything. you can do X, y, and Z. and then, you hear is other people showing all signs of somebody who may be suicidal, and you're not there. Um, people well, get you, scared you of that.
0: The two e- events that get the the black family together are weddings and funerals. Mm-hmm. Like at every wedding and every funeral, I hear, "Oh, we need to get together more often, or oh, we need to ch- check on each other more often." And then once the event is over, everybody go their separate way- ways and. It's like, we just said all this, but there's no actions put in place.
1: I think, and then also, I think that people are just scared to talk about certain things. Like, it's just a taboo topic. Like, because um, I'm not religious, but I know that people like to bring religion into um, suicide. And when people start bringing religion into stuff, they just kind of act like the topic is just off limits. We cannot talk about it at all um but it shouldn't be something that we don't that we don't speak about suicide is not something that somebody chooses it's not something that or or I want to say it's not a thought that they that they want to have um what i mean by that is oftentimes it's not that you want to die and you want to kill yourself you just want to stop feeling whatever it is that you're feeling what
0: well, uh, if I'm in this pain. I'm in this position. If this, like, at this moment, this is the only way I know how to stop it.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that as a black woman, there are so many factors that go into being suicidal or just mental health in general. Um, just think about all of the things that we deal with on a daily basis just black people in general, but I just speak from a black woman's point of view. Um, it's like, it's some days where I just sit on my couch and cry because I'm like, it's it's not, not only am I black, but I'm a woman. Um, I got a disability. Like, you know, what is next? Like, how, where, how do, how will I be successful in this world?
0: And then, yeah, I thought about saying, and you still trying to figure out, how to navigate in, in this world that sees you as black, a woman and then you have this disorder that nobody can see unless you tell them.
1: And I think that's part of it. I think that's part of why people are so scared of mental health or mental illnesses and suicide, um, suicidal thoughts because it's not something that you can see. So sometimes people don't feel like things are real if they can't see it.
0: Or things not real till they actually experience it. Experience
1: it, it, right. And you may never, I mean, will will you ever experience bipolar disorder? Will you ever experience OCD, multiple personality, borderline personality disorder, uh, ADHD? Will you ever experience those things? Probably not. You don't know. So you can't really base um, how you feel and how you treat people who are experiencing those things off of your experiences.
0: And I think we have a bad habit of telling people how to feel or how to act in situations that we never experience.
1: I definitely agree. Um, I've been through situations that men cannot experience, but I've had men tell me to get over it because enough time has passed. And it's like, you are not even capable of doing this thing that I've done. So I don't even know why you're talking to me or, um, you know, telling people that I have bipolar disorder and them saying things like, well, just don't be sad when I'm having a depressive episode or when I'm explaining like how my brain works and people are like, what does bipolar disorder mean? And I'm telling them like the way the symptoms that I have and how it affects me and people respond. To, you know, these are very simple things that somebody without bipolar disorder could just turn off. So then they think like, Oh, well, why won't you just do X, Y, and Z? Like, Oh, wow. Didn't if, think of if, that. If, if it if was if that I simple, easy,
0: I been there.
1: <laughs> wow. Thanks for the idea. You know? Um, And like, that's just the selfishness in people. People have to center themselves in literally everything. Every single last thing people center themselves in. It doesn't matter what it is. They have to think about how they are the center of that thing. So how am I the center of this person having this mental illness? How does it affect me? What does this mean for me? I think that's the first thing that people think of when when anything happens is, what does this mean for me? And then they think of, oh, let me think about the person that is actually affecting, you know. Um, so yeah, I I don't know.
0: So wanted to uh, touch on on this postpartum because um, my son is one now, but I remember, and this is a another thing that. Myself being a man will we'll never have to deal with uh but it, it, but it's a very much real postpartum depression. Yeah. And I remember my wife went it with through it with, with my son. Um she talked to me about going through it with my, my bonus daughter. Um and I just remember some some of the comments like, Oh, you just had this kid, you can't be depressed.
1: I don't think that... So, So first, before we talk about um, um, postpartum, depression is not... It's literally like a chemical imbalance in your brain. It's like something it's, in your brain. A lot of people don't understand. Yeah, you got it,
0: this chemical imbalance that...
1: Yeah, it's not something that somebody is choosing. It's literally happening in their brain. Like, this is a real thing. So, she... A, a woman, after birthing a child... It's not saying like, oh, I want to be sad. And they can't just wake up one day and be like, you know, oh, I'm not going to be sad anymore. Um, and it's not is. And also, like, I think that when we think about postpartum, people automatically think of like the worst. Like if this person is depressed, that means if they're going through postpartum depression, that means that they don't love the baby or that they're not was happy that the, the baby is there. It the
0: complete opposite.
1: It's literally the complete opposite. It's like they are going through that postpartum because they feel so strongly about that baby and because of what they've gone through. Um, uh, labor is traumatic, so I, I, I mean, I don't think that having postpartum is far fetched. Pregn- pregnancy and labor, the whole thing is all traumatic.
0: Yeah, and, and I and I think I was kind of shy because, like, it was other women. Oh, I know you're not going, going through that postpartum shit. Like, and they
1: probably have gone through it too. But people like to deflect. And also, I've learned that people feel like if they've gotten through something and it's over for them now, then you need to be over it too, and you can, you're going to get through it too. So they don't they don't care. Um, and also, people. People feel some kind of way when they know that they suffered something in silence, like they suffered through something in silence, like postpartum. And then here I am telling everybody like, hey, y'all, this is what I'm going through. I'm being open about it. So people are helping me. And that person didn't get that help. You see what I'm saying? Because they didn't speak up. But yeah, um, it will be other women. It's not even always just men. It's other women who may have not gone through it at all and who were blessed to have non-traumatic experiences all the time um and the or women who have gone through it but are upset that they weren't as open about it so
0: and it's scary to to be particularly a black woman and pregnant in America um and I don't have the exact numbers here but the the, the amount of women that don't make it through childbirth or the child that doesn't make it for black women is astronomically high in this modern day country. You think childbirth should be one of the easiest things that our healthcare system could deal with. And I remember when my wife water broke, we went to the hospital and you told her, no, your order didn't break. Like, we had to get a second opinion for something that should be so easy um to to know and to to be able to determine. Like my wife was like, Well, I didn't pee on myself. And I'm like, I definitely, you know, can testify because I stepped in it. Like, why are you telling? Like, we know.
1: So I have some um, I just Googled really quick some numbers on Uh, Pregnancy related mortality Um, And This is from 2007 Through 2016 So uh, the numbers could be higher Now but um, Overall Pregnancy related mortality rates Increased from 15.0 To 17.0 Pregnancy related deaths per 100,000 Births within that time Period Um, And For women over the age of 30, pregnancy-related mortality rates for Black and um, non-Hispanic American Indian and Alaska Native women was four to five times higher than it was for white women. Um, So these are just, I think these numbers include both uh, with the baby passing or the mother passing or both. Um, For Black women with at least a college degree, 5.2 5.2 the the mortality rate is 5.2 times that of their white counterparts um and hemorrhage and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy contributed more to pregnancy related deaths among um american indian women than white women so yeah like it is black women are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy related causes than white women
0: and I remember going to the hospital, like having anxiety, like I shouldn't have to have anxiety, wondering if my child and and my wife is is going to make it. But I'm like, I know these numbers are real, like, and it's only so much we you know we can do. I mean, healthcare in general, and I, and I think this leads me to another point. As black people, it is very hard sometimes for your voice to get heard when you're trying to make medical decisions, um, which may contribute to why uh, black people don't go to the doctors or we don't seek out um, counseling. Because uh, I I know so many people that are anti doctor or, or Same. um it's like I was talking to uh, someone about doing premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to nobody else to talk about my issues. Um,
1: Which to me doesn't make sense because if you and your partner have opposing perspectives and you too, your, your perspectives are so strong that Y'all can't agree on stuff or it's affecting your relationship. How are y'all ever going to fix it? At what point is somebody going to change their perspective or change something that's going to make y'all fix it? Like, I I don't understand how you don't think having a a biased um, or an unbiased opinion uh, from somebody who's not attached to you in any kind of way would like, how do you think that wouldn't help?
0: I don't know, maybe people think it's my business. Um, yeah, know, but you tell it to, to
1: your family and your friends.
0: Yeah, and I, and I feel like the, the more you involve your family, your friends, and your relationship, friendship, whatever you want to call it, situation, uh, the, the, the more problems you're going to have because yeah. everybody got an opinion. Mm hmm.
1: Uh,
0: and then what's really messed up is you didn't share, you know, this he didn't did this, he didn't did that. But now y'all done made up and now your mama and your rest of your family looking at whoever sideways. Right. So I wanted to do the work ahead of time because if we gonna get married.
1: And wanna stay married. Then we need to because do it right.
0: It might be some red flag that come out this, this this counseling session that say, "Well, well, maybe we shouldn't get married."
1: And that's fair. And I think that, but I also, I really think that people are afraid. I think that a lot of stuff just stems from fear, and that's fair. But at what point are we going to not let our fear hinder us from being better people? Because I know it may be scary, to. Every time I have to go to a new therapist, it's intimidating and it's scary because you never know like, if this therapist is going to work. And it's exhausting to have to keep trying new people over and over to find the perfect therapist. Um, however, okay, so here's a symptom of bipolar disorder. I completely forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I literally have no idea what I was saying at all. I can't even tell you what I said before, however. So, oh, my God, that is so embarrassing.
0: It's okay. I got you. So you okay. were talking about um, trying to find find the right therapist, uh, the, the anxiety that comes along with that. Um, oh,
1: so letting go of our fears. Um, once you sit down and start to talk to that person and you release it, and you realize that this person literally has specialized training in the same way. Think about you and your job. Can any normal person just come in and do your job without training? Probably not. So think about, you know, being a therapist and all the training that they had to go through to learn how to specifically deal with your issue. And also consider that because this is this person's career and this is what this, this person does every day for eight eight or more hours a day. Um, you are not the first person that they heard of with this issue or that they spoke to with this issue. Um, so I think that people just have to stop being afraid because even going back to you talking about people being afraid to go to premarital counseling, uh, or people not going to premarital counseling, I just feel like people are afraid to find out that this person may not work and now
0: or. I'm more than scared to find out I'm the issue. Exactly. Oh, you know, that too. Trying to do that self reflection. mm mm-hmm. Um uh, couple of points that you made. Um I love the show This Is Us.
1: Um uh, I'm gonna try it. I try uh I think I watched maybe the first season. I don't even think I got through the whole first season, but I'm used to shows where it's a whole bunch of drama, not normal people living. (laughs) So it was a little slow for me. I was like, okay, is somebody about to cheat on somebody? Like, what's what's happening here?
0: And and I bring up, this is a, because Randall, um, I can't think of the actor's real name. Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, Sterling K. Brown, um, a.k.a. Randall, um, and then for those that haven't seen it, um, Sterling K. Brown play Randall, who has been adopted um, basically by this, this white, what we could probably would consider like perfect family. Mm-hmm. But in this past season, because um, he's dealt with anxiety and other um, mental health issues throughout um, the show, but this past season he actually sought out a therapist and Mm -hmm. it kind of went through that whole process of i'm afraid to open up to this person to um, finding a therapist and then him coming to the realization that i need a black therapist someone that looks like me Mm -hmm. um and he fired his other therapist um so i i thought it showed two things that the the fear and then the, the importance of being able to talk to someone. And not only that, the importance of black therapists and counselors, which I don't think there's enough of.
1: So I want to talk about that. Um, now, my journey to finding a perfect therapist um, has been going on for, I want to say, three to four years now. And I still have not found one that I have stuck with. Um, but now with me being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, obviously I need to have a therapist um who is trained in dealing with someone with bipolar disorder. And up until now, I haven't had that. I haven't been going to uh women who or therapists who uh specialize in that, obviously. So um it was already extremely difficult prior to being diagnosed with bipolar disorder to find a black woman therapist, particularly one who was within my generation as well. Um, it's very, very difficult, especially not being in um, what we consider a mega major city like New York City, Chicago, Um, D.C., Atlanta, places like that uh, where black people are thriving. Um, So being in Detroit and not having access to a lot of therapists or black therapists in general and then finally finding one and then finding out that I have a new disorder and I have to go find another therapist. Now I'm at this point where there aren't any. I can't really find any, especially with taking my insurance. So we have to start there as well. There may be plenty, but they don't take my insurance for whatever reason. Um, it is very difficult for me to find black therapists that take my insurance. So
0: you open, you just open up a whole. Yep, yeah, I did.
1: Because
0: <laughs> um, shoot, I, I feel like the whole insurance business in America is why, especially when it comes to black people. So self, self
1: medication is key because we can't a, you can't afford it. Um or like okay, I can talk about that too in a second. Um but now I'm at this point where I need a therapist that specializes in bipolar disorder that takes my um insurance. Luckily, my PCP is the one who prescribes me the medication, so I don't have to get a psychiatrist. But it's looking like because only I want to say four percent of therapists are black, um, it's looking like I'm going to have to bite the bullet and find somebody who is not black
0: because you it's like you trying to find a needle in the haystack exactly.
1: And at that point, um, I do want to uh, this is not an ad or anything, but I do want to reference therapy for black girls, um, which is a podcast, um, with uh, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. Uh, she started this podcast um to first she has a i do she has a website with the directory for um black therapists um in different cities so you just put in your zip code that's therapy for black but her podcast um she has a different topic every week and um recently she had a topic about um going to choosing the non-black therapist or or choosing a therapist, period. And she talked about choosing a non-black therapist. And she had a list of questions that you can ask someone during the consultation. And um, for me, a lot of my mental issues stem from race and gender. So because I know that, I know that I want to ask um, someone, a non-black therapist during a consultation meeting, how comfortable are you talking about issues of race? How comfortable are you talking about issues of sexuality and gender? And you can't be afraid to ask these questions because at some point you're going to be telling this person all of your business, and you're trusting them basically with your life. You trusting them to get you together and um, and help you walk you through mental illnesses. Um, it's in the same way as you would trust a surgeon with a surgery or a physical illness, you know. So you can't be afraid to go in guns blazing like hey you don't have to be rude about it but listen this is what it is i'm black you can see i'm black don't be in here talking about you don't see color can can we talk about this without you uh uh invalidating my feelings
0: so um you shared um therapy for black girls you it just made me think of the uh have you heard of inception
1: that's a movie right
0: well, it is a movie. But
1: it, <laughs> oh, the it, the spa place. Yes. Yeah, I, it, I did hear of it.
0: The mental health. I want to um, go spa. Uh, my wife actually just went, uh, probably about two three weeks ago now, and said it, it, it was amazing. And everybody um, that I've heard that has went has, has enjoyed it. Um, said this and been a a, a good mental reset um so that is a and it's right on northwestern um highway h- here in metro detroit and i want to say farmington hill so um and it's black owned um so oh,
1: i did not know it was black owned. that's cool
0: so i just wanted to um add that as, as, as a, a resource um I haven't had the chance to go, but I think it was for Mother's Day, or it was either Mother's Day or her birthday. I got my wife a gift card to it, and she just was able to use it, and was like, "Oh, you got to go!" So I'm, I'm planning um, to to go myself to to have that ability to um, just be able to mental uh, reset.
1: Um, I'm gonna try it. I want to try it, and then come back at a later episode and tell everybody how it was.
0: Yeah, so, um, before we um, wrap up, um, because I I feel like we're just touching the the surface when it comes to uh, mental health in the black community. Uh, And, I mean, there are several different ways we we could go. um, Even... Because I, I watched a couple of reality shows and I'm like, they would benefit, like, married to medicine. I think I mentioned this to you before. Uh, Scott and Contessa, like, marriage and marriage counseling. Like, I don't know how we break that stigma in the black community, especially when it comes to, like, marriage or just relationships in general, because. Every, I feel like every relationship is going to get to that point where y'all need to sit down and, and figure some stuff out and the outside voice isn't bad because we all bring our own baggage, we all bring our own biases to certain things and they could have a breakthrough where you realize, okay, if I do this, and I'm going to be real, not everyone is great communicators. I know one mm-hmm. of my weaknesses is... is my relationship with my wife was I'm not always the best communicator. So I, I just wanted to to leave you uh, with that tidbit. Um, Kiera, you got anything? Uh, that
1: um, I don't really have anything to add, but, uh, don't be afraid to try therapy out. Um, give it at least six weeks if you don't like it you can at least say you tried it um, be patient with people with mental illnesses um, and do the research do the work really show that you care about people with these mental illnesses by um, not not putting the burden on them to show you how to uh, love them and take care of them during that time so
0: and i'm gonna say this and mind your business be be a, be a true friend. Like, <laughs> yep. sometimes all you need to do is listen. Everything doesn't have to be about you. Some, sometimes the best thing you can do is just listen. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just to come over and just sit.
1: hmm Like, I love... My friends know that I love when they come over and watch music videos with me. It's fun. I, I It just... It helps.
0: Especially if it's Beyonce videos. Okay. So... Um, I'm going to wrap up, um, the, the first podcast of of season two, um, of going straight in. Um, I do hope by the, the third episode that we, we have a actual video, um, Visual for you, and um, got some new new things in the works. Uh, Minding my black business Tuesday, so just be on the lookout. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Going Straight In Podcast, um, and we will catch y'all the next time for episode two.